Welcome. The two most influential ideologies towards the American right are traditionalism and national conservatism. These are two ideologies that have energy that uh, are based on principles, although I might think they're bad principles, and they have some uh, they have quite an impact on people who are interested in creating a worldview and going away from the boring and uh, focused only on policies, uh, identity of conservatism. So not only these movements are influential, but these movements also have had some political success. So the chief strategist of Trump, Steve Bannon, uh, considers himself a traditionalist. Also, we have traditionalist figures of influence in the former government of uh, Brazil with Bolsonaro and particularly his foreign minister, and also uh, traditionalist figures like Alexander Dugin are quite influential among the elites in Russia. But also national conservatism is a movement that has had, uh, that aspires to have a lot of political impact. And there's a very good chance that the next US president is going to be someone who considers himself a national conservative. And I'm talking about Rob DeSantis. So yesterday we discussed with Raka and with Mark, we discussed traditionalism. Today, let's see what is the role that tradition plays in national conservatism. So for those of you not very familiar with the movement, national conservatism, you can think about it as a network, a loose network of intellectuals, of journalists, of policymakers, of politicians, of think tankers. And some figures you might have heard, uh, Peter Thiel, the entrepreneur, he signed the Declaration of Principles of National Conservatism, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point uh, US, and the main ideological influence is Yoram Hazoni, whom you might have watched debate Yaron Brook in uh, Lex Friedman show. And if you want to find very quickly what national conservatives stand for after the show, go check out national, go Google national conservatism, a statement of principles. There they give in bullet points what are their main ideas. And below you can see the people who are happy to openly associate themselves with national conservatism. Now, in an answer, national conservatives believe that conservatives have done a big mistake. And this big mistake that has taken place almost for a century now is their alliance with classical liberalism. So national conservatives say, maybe you think it makes sense that we allied with classical liberals during the Cold War or when we wanted to defeat communism or even today when we want to defeat the left. But by aligning ourselves with, with uh, classical liberals, we have lost our soul. Because it's not only communism that was defeated, it's also conservatism has been defeated. And how has it been defeated? It has been defeated where it matters, which is when it comes to conserving the values, the way of life, and the culture of our forefathers. So, so national conservatives are saying that the standard based on which you judge an ideology or a political system as good or bad, the standard is whether it preserves what needs to be 
preserved. So the standard is not, not the defense of individual rights. The standard is conserving. Now, why liberalism is an enemy in this process? It's very obvious that liberalism is about constant change. Liberalism is about uprooting cultures and uprooting habits. And also liberalism has as its subject the individual. And individualism is something which is quite bad for, nation, for national conservatives. Why? Because it uproots the individual from the groups that he's a part of. The family, the clan, the tribe, and the nation. So national conservatives are saying, look, whether you want it or not, you are part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a community. You cannot just say, I don't like this community anymore. I don't want anything to do with it. So the standard is conserving what this nation or this wider community has been standing for years. Now, why should we conserve though? Why is conserving and why is uh, keeping alive the traditions of the past important? for national conservatives. And the answer, as always, can be found in philosophy. And more specifically, in the view of epistemology, which is how we know, how we view the world. So national conservatives are saying, it is impossible for an individual or for two or for a hundred individuals to know with confidence what is true and what is good. But also, what might be good for you, for your family, for your clan, or for your community, or even for your nation, how do you know that it's good for everyone else? Therefore, for them, nationalism is first and foremost a methodological tool. Something is good for Americans, but this something might not be good for Russians. So let's have one country here with their own principles and let other countries have their other principles. After all, Morality for these people is not objective, which is weird because they think it comes from God. So if it comes from God, how is it not objective? But that's another discussion. So morality cannot be, cannot be produced, let's say, cannot be found from reality, which is what, for example, Ayn Rand thinks, that you can't have an objective morality and you don't need God. National conservatives say you don't you cannot have an objective morality and therefore we need this pluralism that will come through the different nations. American values here, Russian values there, whatever works. So here is the important role of tradition for national conservatives. Tradition protects us from the fallacy of thinking that we have universal knowledge. My tradition is protecting me from the hubris, from me thinking too much about myself and thinking that I've got everything figured out. So tradition is a barrier between myself and this idea that I can have that I know better than all the people who came before me. Here is how Yoram Hazoni, top national conservative intellectual, puts it in his book, Conservatism and Rediscovery. By consulting the accumulated experience of the past, we overcome the inherent weakness of individual judgment. End of quote. Did you get that? By consulting the accumulated experience of the past, so 
by looking what our forefathers did, we make up from the fact that we cannot really know. Now, Hazon is not stupid, so he recognized that, look, I recognize that tradition can be bad. Some cultures have bad traditions or our culture has some traditions that are bad. But here's the point he says. A tradition is less likely to be bad, is less likely to be wrong than the things that we have come up in the last five years or whatever. So the latest intellectual fashions are not tested. Tradition is tested. So let me give you an example, trying to steal man Hazoni's argument. So Hazoni would say, look, we find ourselves today in a crazy world where there are 72 genders. Tradition, though, tells us that there are two genders. And society has worked relatively well when we understood that there were two genders. Now, he says, mistakes have happened. So, for example, we can tweak a bit our view about homosexuality. But we cannot go too far. So we take the tradition and we change it slightly. So if you are a homosexual, you know, we are not going to persecute you. But don't try to... Don't try to impact too much the sexual morality of the society, and we will let you be. So very small changes. Based on what? Based not on individual rights, based not that you're a human being and you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm other people, but based on how can these small changes be in tune with tradition and maintaining the cohesion of the community. So... In other words, tradition for national conservatives is the pragmatism of trial and error. So why is a limited government and the rule of law and the king having limited power? Hazoni says all these things are good. That's why it makes sense that we found ourselves in common barricades with classical liberals. But he says these things are good because they worked not because we can draw universal principles from, from them. And here's my question to Hazoni and to national conservatism. These things, like rule of law, property rights, these things worked based on what? What is the standard based on which they worked or not? Because, for example, the Islamic revolution in Iran has worked. If your standard is Sharia law or a regime that hates America. If this is our standard, the Iranian revolution has definitely worked. So which of the two standards is good? The standard that brings us prosperity and a life where we can live relatively free or the standard that means that we are a good theocracy? Now, Hazoni might say, let them be a theocracy and we have our own standards. Yeah, but... This doesn't answer the question which of the two is good or which of the two is better and why. So you see, tradition, when it becomes a guide to morality, hits on a wall, the wall of why. Let me give you another example. Actually, before I give you an example, let's still man a bit more their case. So a national conservative would say an individual can be wrong. And he did the right. Most people are wrong most of the time. And they say the individuals are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Again, very, very true. 
But then why should we follow the example of the past? Were our ancestors omniscient? Obviously not. So why should we follow things that other people in the past did to avoid the possibility that we are wrong? What if they were wrong? And how are we to judge if they were wrong or not wrong, if not by using our own judgment? So the way I view this epistemology, this theory of knowledge of national conservatism is, to use an objectivist lingo, as institutionalized second-handedness, as official second-handedness. It's telling you, trust the judgment of your forefathers over your own judgment. Other people know better than you what is good for you. Again, there's a very good chance that your decisions are really bad, but it's only you who can make this judgment. And maybe your judgment is wrong, in which case you have to figure it out. Again, being rational is very difficult. But what they suggest is giving up any trial together. And actually, it reminds me, this second-handedness. One of the opening scenes in the Fountainhead, it's in the first chapter of the Fountainhead, where Howard Rourke means, meets the dean. And the dean is about to expel him. And he gives him a mini lecture about his hubris in thinking that he knows better than the classics. And Rourke dares to question the Parthenon, which triggers me because I the Parthenon is not it's a big uh, is a big pride for all Greeks. But Rourke says, I don't like it for this and this and this. So Rourke gives reasons. One, two, three, why I don't like the Parthenon. And the dean has nothing to reply, except it's the Parthenon. How can you question the Parthenon? So again, there is a big possibility that someone, when they do something very daring, they might be wrong. Gus Webb is someone else in the Fountainhead. He's this architect who tries to shock everyone. He has no idea why he's doing it. So it doesn't mean that when someone follows their judgment, this will definitely be correct. Actually, it needs a lot of effort to have a proper judgment, but it's the only way to figure out things in the world. Hazoni tells you, give this up, follow your ancestors. And here are two problems with this idea that follow your ancestors. The first question is, can we, how can we tell if what our ancestors did are good or not good. So some people have ancestors who were cannibals. Other people have ancestors who, I don't know, who burned their wives when the husband died. And some other people had ancestors who were slave owners. Or some people had ancestors, to also talk about Greece, who were imperialists. How are we to judge if this is good or a bad thing? Like, if my ancestors were cannibals, is this a tradition worth following? Obviously, no, we'll say Hazoni. Again, the guy is not stupid. But how can we tell that it's a bad thing? This means we are capable of judging good from bad. And if we are capable of judging good from bad, why do, I, why do we need tradition? I mean, history and tradition might be very interesting, very useful. We might want to keep things. 
But why shouldn't the standard be our independent judgment? Why should tradition give us the marching orders, as Hazoni clearly says, as national conservatives clearly say? And here's the second question. Who are the ancestors I should follow? Because me, as a Greek, Aristotle was one of my ancestors. The people who built the Parthenon are my ancestors. But also, my ancestors are some Byzantine emperors who did crazy stuff, which would be too crazy even for Game of Thrones. Those of you into gory and uh, freaky stuff, go read uh, some history about what was happening in the Byzantine Empire. Who of these ancestors shall I follow? Aristotle? Or the crazy Byzantine emperor who did crazy things and was torturing people for fun? Talking about torturing people for fun. If I'm a Native American, shall I follow the example of the Comanches? who excelled in finding the most sadistic way to kill people, or maybe the Cherokees, who were considered a tribe which, is, which was more peaceful. Both are technically ancestors. So which ancestors do I choose? Again, there's an only one answer, which is I choose based on my independent judgment. And I say, Aristotle, good, crazy Byzantine emperor who was executing his whole family bad. Why? Because I can judge good from bad. So if there is a legitimate way to judge good from bad, then we don't need tradition to give us marching orders when it comes to morality. Again, some traditions might be good. I love many of the Greek traditions. I participate in them. I dance traditional dances. Uh, I even participate in some quasi-religious or actual religious traditions because I find some meaning in terms of bringing the family together or whatever. But again, I'm not getting my marching orders from morality. So history can give us lessons. Tradition can give us lessons. But we can only evaluate them through our reason and through our judgment. And one last uh, objection that a traditionalist or a conservative would say, and this is the example of Chesterton's fans. Somebody brought it up on Twitter, and it's an interesting objection. So Chester's, Chesterton's fans is a thought experiment. So it's a, it goes like that. There's a fence. You have, let's say, a house in the middle of nowhere, and there's a fence. And you've no idea what this fence is doing there. That doesn't seem to divide two properties or something. So your thought is, I'll tear down the fence. But then someone else tells you, no, the fact that you don't know why this fence is there is the best proof why you should not touch it. First, you need to understand why this fence is there, and only then you must tear it down. And I would say, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. We have to understand why something is in place before we change it. Actually, I do all this I do this all the time with friends when we disagree about football. I know many people who hopefully it's not too technical for our American audience, but 
there's a lot of discussions about the rules of offsides and the virtual replay and what's the role of virtual replay. So I hear all the time people say, we should change the offside rule. I said, do you realize that if we change the offside rule, we change the game completely? Do you understand what the offside rule is doing in making the game so much better? And most people, of course, have no idea. They haven't even thought what a slight change would bring. So I'm a proponent of saying that before you suggest a silly change or any change, think about, do we really need it? And when it comes to sports, quite often people, they suggest silly changes because they have no idea why this thing, which is now in place, works. But Chesterton's fence example is not a good defense for national conservatives who say that tradition should give us some guidelines for morality. Because Chesterton's fence tells you to figure out why something is there and then judge whether you need it or not. So here's the important thing, judge. I know why slavery was a thing. I understand how it was at the best interest of many people. Still, I understand why it was there and I consider it a horrendous institution and I still think we should change it. So I have the judgment, I have the moral authority to say, mm, I see why these institutions exist. I understand why the Christian church, for example, persecuted homosexuality. I get it. And I consider it, it shouldn't be the case. I consider it evil. So yeah, do the Chesterton fence test. Figure out why an institution is there. And then judge accordingly whether it, you want to go with it or whether you want to deviate from it. So these are this is everything I wanted to say about why I don't think the tradition is a good way to go through life when it comes to figuring out what is a good morality and what is not a good morality. And this is why I stand opposed to the national conservatives. So let me see what our friends say. Marlon, thank you very much for your contribution. And there's a second contribution. But our forefathers didn't all agree. So who is the final arbiter of what ideas we should live by? Exactly. <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing. Yoram Hazoni recognizes this. He says, Jefferson disagreed with uh, the other founding fathers. He disagreed with Hamilton. He's with Hamilton. I'm with Jefferson. But who is to say who was right or wrong? Again, he said, under Jefferson, the system didn't work. Therefore, objectively, Hamilton, uh, or objectively based on what worked, Hamilton was better. Didn't work based on what? Based on what standards? And how did we come up with these standards? So very good point, Marilyn. I agree. Roland says, very much looking forward to seeing the Parthenon again in April. And what uh, our friend Roland talks about is the Ayn Rand Con Europe Conference, which is going to take place in Athens, 7 till 10th of April. So we are, today is what? Today is the 17th. In less than four months, we will gather in Athens. We'll spend four days here discussing philosophy, immersing ourselves in the city, eating great food. So it's not a coincidence that after 16 years abroad, I returned to Athens despite the fact that Greece is one of the most socialist countries in the world. 
It's so beautiful. And I really hope I will see you all there. And actually, our producer, Daniel, if you can add the link on the chat, and let's have that link always there. Ayn Rand Con Europe 2023 in Athens from 7th till 10th of April. And there's also an extra day for those of you who feel like spending a bit more on the 11th for excursions, where we go to the Temple of Poseidon, which is not far from here. And it's one of the most beautiful sunsets in the world, allegedly, because I've never seen a sunset from there, although it's not that far. But any time of the day you go, it's very beautiful. Okay. Saucebot, thank you very much for your super chat, a general super chat. Scientifically, traditions are an idiot thing, Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty. No idea what this is, but uh, <laughs> I get your points. Marilyn says, yeah, I can dance traditional dances, mostly Cretan dances. The problem is I don't predict that there are many people in Iron Rank on Europe who will be able to dance Cretan dances. We can dance the Zorba dance, which is not a Cretan dance, but it's very simple. Uh, we danced it with Tal for something like two seconds in Ocon when he was announcing Athens. So many thanks to all of you for your contributions. Again, I think today is an important topic because you understand traditionalism and you understand national conservatism. You are way ahead of the loop. You know more than the average, than the average conservative or the average libertarian about two movements that are dominating the right and they are going to be dominating the right more and more ideologically. That's my prediction. Anyway, 7 p.m. UK time, we have the Founding Book Club with Susanna Milgram for ARC UK members who can participate live. And for YouTube members, you cannot participate in terms of being in the classroom, but you can live stream, uh, you can live stream the show. Anyway, that's all I had to say today. Many thanks for keeping me company and see you all soon. Bye-bye.